This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Aren't you so glad that the Word says that He always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus? Always means always. The devil's a loser and Jesus wins. Amen. That means that we win. All right? We are winners. Amen. Well, um, at the women's meeting on uh, Friday night, if you've never been, you ought to come, except for if you're a guy. <laughs> or think you're a guy or a gal. Forget that. <laughs> I'll drop that subject. I'll drop that. Just drop it. See that? Okay. Well, anyway, I asked uh, Desiree Garcia if she would give her testimony and, uh, and some of the word that she stood on, you know, to help her through her thing, her way and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the last thing she said was, she said, I used to be a nobody, but God made a somebody out of me. And I said, wow, that's that's the title of my message Sunday morning. The title of my message today is you're a nobody till you're somebody in God. Now, how many can you testify to that? You were nobody, but Jesus turned around and made somebody out of you. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let me open up with prayer today. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. Lord, it just gives us everything that we need in life. Lord, it causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. It causes us to always win because we are more than conquerors. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that we were nobody, but you made somebody out of us. Lord, help us to hear today what the Spirit of the Lord has to say to us. And we give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to show you a couple of books out of the bookstore that might help you uh, with this subject today. We have a Brother Hagen mini book called In Him. That's a good book, In Him. And we also have another one called by Brother Hagen called Redeemed from Poverty, Sickness, and Spiritual Death. And it also tells you what you're delivered to from and, and uh, gone to. And then I thought about this book this morning, How to Avoid Shipwreck by, by Dr. Barclay. You know, it is possible to fall off the trail. <laughs> it is possible to go overboard, you know, and things like that. But he, causes, he, he tells us how to get back on. And we also have this book in Spanish. And since we messed up the cover, I'm going to give it to you, Henry. <laughs> since you can read it. <laughs> Sorry for the messed up cover. Praise God. Okay. All righty. Well, I want to ask you some questions today. First of all, uh, what... Do you consider yourself to be? What do you consider yourself to be? I'm not talking about what everybody else thinks about you. I'm, I'm saying what does what do you consider yourself to be? And who do you consider yourself to be? So we got a what and we got a who. What do you consider yourself to be? And who do you consider yourself to be? What is your self-image? You know, our self-image can be uh, molded by a lot of things, messed up by a lot of things. A lot of things being uh, maybe the way you were raised, you know, all kinds of stuff. Hey, I forgot to tell you, if you need an, uh, an outline, raise your hands. I forgot to say that. If you need an outline of the service and didn't get one, raise your hands. The ushers are back there ready, willing, and able to pass those outlines out. So if you didn't get one, Shaheem didn't get one. So praise God. Okay. So what is our self-image? For too many of you, it is loser. You'll never amount to anything. You have no hope in life and other things. 
You know, some of you may think, well, it's no use. Why should I even bother? Why should I even try? Because I'm a nobody. I'll never be anybody. Why did God make me? Why am I here? I'm nothing. Well, I have some good news for you today. Because maybe you were a loser with no place to go. Maybe you had no vision. Maybe all you had was nothing but hopelessness and despair. But when you became a born again Christian, you're not a loser anymore. And so you may have to change your mindset. You know, we're comprised of our spirits, our soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions, and our physical body. So sometimes we have to change our mindset. We have to renew our mind to the Word of God. We have to start thinking about what God thinks about us, not what we think about us, not what maybe if we had bad parents, not maybe what our bad parents told us, or a bad teacher, you know. We, you are a valuable commodity in the kingdom of God. And when I think of, I don't know if this is even the right way for me to think about it, but when I think about a commodity, I think about something really valuable. I think like, like gold or silver or precious stones or something like that. But you know what? We're more valuable than that. We are one of, just one of you is more valuable than all the money in the entire world because you're a born again Christian. Amen. And God's got something for you to do. You were a lump of clay, right? You were nothing but a lump of clay. Did you ever play with clay in kindergarten or any of the above? You know, Play-Doh, any of that kind of stuff? You were a lump of clay, but he wants to make something beautiful out of your life. So, if you jump off of the potter's wheel and get out of his will for you before he's through molding you, then all you're going to be is a lumpy bump. So you can either be a lumpy bump or you can be something beautiful that God has created you to be. And, you know, basically the choice is up to us. It is possible to postpone or to even destroy God's plan for you by stepping out of his will for you because of lies spoken to you by the devil. I'm going to say that again. It is possible to postpone, put off, maybe for a long, long time, or destroy God's plan for you by stepping out of his will for you because of lies spoken to you by the devil. Now, the devil can use people to speak lies to you, or he can sit on your shoulder and just yickety-yak in your ear all day long. And let me just tell you a secret about the devil. When the devil talks to you, he doesn't sit here and say, I am the devil. And this is what I'm saying to you. He, he comes to you in first person and makes you think that the thought here is your thought. He doesn't say to you, you are a loser. He says to you, I am a loser. The thought goes in and you think, I am a loser. Because the devil will speak to you in first person. That's his, that's his modus of operandi. You got that? So it's very, very important for you to, to you to know that so that you can recognize when the devil comes to give you a blow, a low blow that, um, that's not your thought. And it's certainly not God's thought. It's the devil's thought and he's trying to get you to buy it. You're also like a diamond in a rough. You know, I, I didn't stop to study how they polish diamonds and all that kind of stuff, but diamonds are basically just like, like a rock, you know, type thing. But he wants to polish you so that you shine. 
Amen. He wants to take off all those rough edges and all that kind of stuff. And I imagine that little rock is sitting there going, ouch, ouch, ouch. So sometimes when he does that, it hurts. You know, when he corrects us, a lot of times it hurts. And we can either choose to get off the potter's wheel or to get out from underneath the file that he's filing us with. Or we can stay and say, Lord, I want to be what you want me to be. He wants to make you a light among men. But if you get out from beneath his hand and run away, then you're going to look real funny. Because half of you is going to shine real bright like a diamond. And the other half of you is just going to be an ugly rock. So you got that picture. So you need to choose which way you want to be. So I want to give you some Bible examples today of nobody who became somebody in God. The Bible's full of them. Full of people that were nobodies. Just like this church is full of people that were nobodies. And and you came in here, you got born again, you started, you know, focusing on the word, getting your mind re- renewed, and all of a sudden you're somebody. You know, this is so cool. i, I got to tell you part of what Desiree said. She said, when they came into this church... You know, they've been homeless, drugs, all, you know, the whole, whole, whole yucky nine yards. She said they came in here because they had decided, you know, enough was enough. And so Jesse and Desiree came in and they decided that they were going to be part of here. They came to every single service. Uh, Jesse said to her one day, do we have to go to every service? And she said, every service. So they started coming to every service and then they wanted to help in the church. So we put them in charge of the vacuum cleaners. So that they could change the belt and the vacuum cleaners. And they were so happy that we let them come into this building by themselves. That we trusted them when nobody was in here, you know, to work on the vacuum cleaners. And it meant so much to them. And, you know, the Lord's brought them through stuff, you know. And you can ask them their testimony. It's just really, really powerful. But now, like she says, I am somebody. I'm somebody now. So anyway, you need to you need to keep that in mind. So we're going to look at some people who are nobody in the Bible and how they became somebody. Well, first of all, let's talk about David, the shepherd boy. Okay, we'll be for David. I love David. When Samuel, the prophet, came to to uh, uh, David's father, Jesse, to pick a new king from amongst Jesse's many sons, because God had rejected King Saul from being king. Uh, here comes, here comes Samuel, you know, talks to Jesse. Let me see your sons. And so here come the sons. I don't know how many there were. Do you know how many there were? There's a whole lot of them, more than I've got, more than five, right? Like eight or nine or 12 or 120 something. He had a lot of sons. So he goes to all these sons and Samuel comes across this one guy and he thinks, surely this is the one that the Lord has chosen because this particular kid was tall and handsome. But in 1 Samuel 16, 17, 7, it says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God looks on the intentions and the purposes of the heart. So finally, Jesse knows by the spirit of the Lord that, hey, he's not picking, God's not picking any of these guys, you know. None of them are qualifying in God's eyes. And so Samuel says to Jesse, do you have any more sons? And he says, yeah, there's David. He's the youngest. He's a shepherd boy. He's out in the field tending the sheep. He's not in the forefront. Think about this. If you're a shepherd, you're out in the middle of a, a field, a pasture, maybe even the desert, because this is desert country there. He's sitting there with a bunch of sheep. 
Maybe sitting on a rock. You know, I'm giving you pictures so that you can grab a hold of a picture today. Think about where you think uh, David might be when he's out tending his sheep. Maybe he's out pulling one of them with his rod and his staff from underneath a bush. Or, you know, maybe he's taking birds out of their coat. Who knows what he's doing? But he's tending to the sheep. Well, sometimes um, David also would play his harp. And because he was out there by himself and because he knew God, he spent a lot of time singing to the Lord. He sat in God's presence while he tended to the sheep. And he sang to the Lord and he wrote a whole bunch of the Psalms. You know, I'm not sure how many of them he wrote, but there was a bunch of them. He wrote, to this, he wrote these Psalms, you know, read them in your Bible, beautiful things, and he had put them to music. So he had a relationship with God, David did, as he's out there tending to the sheep. And he's the one that God chose. But in the eyes of all of his brothers, you know, he was just he was just a nobody. He's he's the he's the young kid. You know, he's the bratty younger brother. You know, who cares about him? He's nobody. He's just out there doing his thing. But you know what? While he was out there, I'm going to give you a statement. You ought to write it down. Preparation time is never wasted time. So even though you feel like you're out there, you're not being used. Nothing's going on in your life. God, why aren't I doing this or whatever? Preparation time is never wasted time. Because while David was out there tending to the sheep, he also killed a lion. How would you like to kill a lion? They didn't have any rifles or guns back then. He couldn't go to the back of his pickup truck like they do in Indiana and get down the rifle, you know, and pew, you know, blow the dude away. No, he couldn't do that. He had to physically fight with his lion. And then he also, at another time, killed a bear. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't particularly want to tangle with the bear. But because he did all that, that was preparation time that the Lord was working on this kid for when he went out and killed Goliath the giant, with the Lord's help, of course. But So you see, God took David the shepherd boy and made him the king of Israel. He was a nobody and he became a somebody in God. Another thing is, uh, I talked about this, this, I just, I love, I love reading about David anyway. So, David's mighty men, and a couple weeks ago I taught on how God can anoint you to be a follower. Well, there were three mighty men, well there were, ended up like 400 people that followed, uh, David to this cave because King Saul got jealous of, of David because he had more favor with the people than King Saul did, and King Saul knew that his time was over with, although he still remained in his position as king, that David had been chosen to be king. So Saul thought, well, I'll just kill David. So David escapes and runs to the cave of Adullam. Well, he's got 400 folks that follow him, you know, and it says in the Bible that those who followed him were all in debt, real winners in life. They were all in debt. They were distressed. And they were discontent. So you might call them a bunch of misfits. You might call them David's misfits. He had a bunch of people that, in the natural, you wouldn't pick to be your captains. You wouldn't pick to be your lieutenants in your army. You know, you wouldn't pick to be the leaders. But one good thing about these guys was David was a good leader. And so when all these people gathered themselves to David, then he was able to make something out of them with God working through him to make something out of all these men. So 
you know, the mighty men that David had uh, uh, before him, the misfits, he made something out of them. They were nobodies. They were nobody. But God made them somebody, and they did great work for him. Now, I want us to look up the story of Gideon, because I love this. Gideon was a farmer, and uh, he was a nobody in his own eyes. Look up. I'm, I'm in the New King James Version today, so if that messes up what you're reading out of, maybe you ought to just not look what you're reading out of and, and watch up there on the screen. Because sometimes when you're trying to translate it from living Bible to New King James, it just doesn't kind of jive. So we're going to read in here today about Gideon, and we're going to start in Judges uh, verse 6, and we're going to read down to verse 16. So this is the background of Gideon. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Okay, two things were going on here. The Israeli children were in the land of Midian. The Midianites stole all their crops, stole all their food. You know, they were just in a, in a terrible state. And so the Israelites, you know, they finally get smart and cried out to God means they prayed. So finally, they prayed. Well, what happens when you pray? God hears you, correct? So they started to pray and God heard them. In verse 7, And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So if you want to know why the Israelites were messed up and they were in the land of Midian, captive to another people, it's because they had been disobedient. Because they had not obeyed the Lord, and so they found themselves in a mess. Finally get to the point where things are so bad that they're crying out to God, Lord, help us. You know, it's the same thing with the United States of America. We're no different than any other nation when it comes to this stuff. If America obeys God, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The nation whose God is not the Lord is not blessed. That's why it's so important that we keep God and Jesus on the forefront in our nation. And a lot of good things are going on in that realm. But we can't continue to do things like abort babies and expect God to be happy about it. He's not. Now, things are slowly changing there um, because during the first uh, uh, original Roe v. Wade thing, there was a, there was a one liner in there that says, if at any time it is found that life begins at conception or that these babies can feel pain, then this can be reversed. So that's what we're all standing on, because scientifically it is proven that children feel pain in the womb, you know, and all kinds of things. They know when the heartbeat starts and all this kind of stuff. So. You know, there's a whole lot going on where that whole thing can be reversed. But you've still got an evil generation of people that say, you know, it's a woman's uh, right to choose. Well, it was a woman's right to choose before she decided to have sex. That's when the choice was. That's when the choice was. It wasn't after you get pregnant, you, you murder this child. But that's not my subject today. What I was saying, but I do get off on tangents every once in a while, you know. So that's one of my favorite ones. But but we cannot be disobedient to the things of God 
and expect him to be a blesser of our nation. So that's what happened with Israel, with the Midianites. They were in deep trouble because of what they had done. So then this is what happened. So remember, they cried out to the Lord. So what happens when they cried out to the Lord? The Lord sends an angel. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abrazite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midians. Now, you don't usually press, you know, you don't usually thresh wheat in the wine press. You don't do that. They're two different different things. But because the Midianites were stealing all their wheat and leaving them with nothing, he was hiding there, threshing his wheat, trying to save what he could from the Midianites coming in and stealing his grain for his family. Verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Wow. Get the picture. Okay. Gideon is threshing wheat, hiding out in the wine press, trying to thresh some wheat so his family can survive. And here shows this angel up. Whoa. And says, the Lord says, you're a mighty man of valor. You go, what, who, me? See, God sees us differently than what we see ourselves. Gideon said to him in verse, uh, I think it's 12, 13. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us. Why then has all this happened to us? In other words, where's God? You know, everybody blames everything on God. It's all God's fault. You know, where was God? Where was God during the Texas shooting? Where was God during the Vegas shooting? Where was, where's God? Well, he's very present. He's very present. I'll share with you something tonight when we have our testimony time about what we can do about stopping things like that. And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us. They think they're forsaken, but it's the other way around. They forsook God. And now they're blaming God for forsaking them, but it was the other way around. It says, the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. You know what? When you're not doing what God tells you to do or obeying him, you're at, you're at the mercy of the devil. And guess what? He has no mercy. So you're real smart to stay hooked up with God. Amen. Because things will go well if you if you are. Then the Lord turned to Gideon and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the land of the Midianites. Have have I not sent you? So I said to him, oh, Lord, how can I save Israel? You're talking about a little farmer boy here. Indeed, my clan or my family is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. See what he thinks about himself and what God thinks about him. He thinks he's a nothing. He thinks he's a nobody. He thinks he's the least. His family's the least. And on and on it goes. But the Lord says, you're a mighty man of valor. Isn't that awesome? So God wants to make him into something cool. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Now, you ought to do yourself a favor and read the whole rest of this story because it is so cool about what happened with Gideon's army. And I don't have time to tell you that today because it's just too long and too involved. But it's awesome, isn't it, Leanne? It's very, very awesome. So you ought to do yourself a favor and read that. So here we have Gideon, and he ends up saving Israel. But read that, and it will tell you. All, you. all you veterans in here, all you military people, you know what I love to do? And I am, I am in God's army. I'm not in the natural army. 
But I love to read Old Testament stuff like maybe in the Living Bible or even this, this New King James. And I like to read about the battles. I like to read about the battles because it's very interesting when the leaders went to the Lord and prayed about a battle. The Lord will say, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go up. I want you. This is how I want you to do it. And I want you to defeat them. La, la, la. And sometimes they would go before the Lord. David was great at this. And he would say, don't do a thing. I got this one. Back off. Don't touch it. And the whole Bible is full. And the Old Testament is full of battles like this. And I think so many times our military, if they would pray, the Lord will show them what to do. The Lord would show them whether you go out, whether you stay. The Lord will show you what kind of weapons to use, whether you send in the the uh, the Team Six or whether you send in the whole United States Marine Corps, the Air Force, you know, the Army. What, you know, God will show them what to do if they just pray. And if the if the nation is serving the Lord, hey, God's on our side. You know what I mean? So it would behoove us to follow the Lord. Amen. Okay, and I'm going to I'm going to talk to you about Rahab the harlot. She was certainly a nobody. Okay, a harlot means she was a prostitute. So Rahab was a prostitute. And if you want to read about her, I'm not going to go there today. Look at Joshua chapter 2. It tells about Rahab the harlot. But she was a big loser. She was a nobody, right? But God used her to recognize God, to recognize God's people, and to save the army of Israel. In fact, she became somebody because if you look at the lineage of Jesus in Matthew by chapter 2 and in through there, She's listed as one of the ancestors. She was certainly a nobody. But in God, she became a somebody. Amen. Let's think about Elijah, the prophet. Let's, 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 we're going to look that one up. Okay. Elijah is going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19. And on your, on your handout sheet, it says we're going to start in verse 3, but we're not. We're going to start in verse 1. So Elijah was a runaway prophet of God. He was a mighty man, but he became a sniveling weakling because of the threats of a stupid woman named Jezebel. And that's what happened to him. So let's look this up. Let's see what happened here. First uh, Kings chapter 19, verse one. Okay. And Ahab told Jezebel, Ahab is the king. Jezebel is the queen. All that Elijah had done. Now, if you back up into chapter 18, it tells us that um, Elijah killed all the prophets of Baal. Now, the prophets of Baal were false prophets of a demon god named Baal. So Elijah killed all them. So there are no, none left. OK, so you got that scene. So the king Ahab and his queen Jezebel, he tells Jezebel all that Elijah did and how he executed all the prophets with a sword. Then it ticked Jezebel off. So Jezebel sends a message to Elijah and says, Go let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as a life of one of them by tomorrow this time. So in other words, Jezebel is threatening to kill Elijah the prophet. So you got that picture. He had just won this great big mighty battle. He just got rid of all the false prophets of the devil. So here he is, this mouthy woman over here, yik yak something. And threatens him. Verse 3. 
And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. He didn't stop and inquire of the Lord. He didn't say, he's a mighty man of God. He didn't say, Lord, what do you want me to do? He did not ask God what he was supposed to do in this situation. He just got afraid and ran. So here he goes. He runs for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So God didn't send him away. He ran away. So he's out in la-la land all by himself. But he himself went on a day's journey into the where? The wilderness. He's out in the wilderness all by himself. And he came and sat under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. So a spirit of suicide has come on this guy. Yesterday, he was mighty. Today, he's scared. He's running for his life and he's suicidal. And he said to the Lord, it is enough now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father. So depression set in on him. Yesterday, he was a mighty man of God. Today, he's running for his life. He's suicidal and he's depressed. He never stopped to ask the Lord what to do. Remember that. Then as he laid and slept under a broom tree... People that are depressed sleep all the time. If you didn't know, that's one of the symptoms of depression. They sleep. They sleep because they want to get away from reality of life, so they just sleep and think it'll all go away. Then as he laid and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up, stupid! I'm not talking to you, Robert. That's an inside joke. You need to talk to Robert and Susan about that. Actually, angels are pretty nice. I probably would have gone up and kicked Elijah and said, look, stupid. Get up, dummy. What are you doing? Get up, stupid. So, But the angel didn't say that. This is what the nice angel said. Arise and eat. Talk about divine patience, you know. Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there laid by his head was a cake baked on the coals. So the angel baked him some grub, you know, and brought him a jar of water. So he ate and he drank, and he laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and said, Get up, stupid! (laughs) No, that's not what the angel of the Lord said. The angel of the Lord said, Arise and eat. Wasn't that sweet? Because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave. And he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? How would you like the angel to show up at your place? What are you doing here? Isn't that amazing? Obviously, the Lord didn't want him there. So he's out of the will of God, right? So here comes, here comes Elijah. And his very 
depressed, crying voice. So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. You know, I've been a good little trooper. (laughs) For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left. And they seek to take my life. In other words, he thinks he's the only believer around. Do you ever feel like you're the only Christian? Well, you shouldn't do that because there's a whole bunch of us. I mean, just look around. There's a whole bunch of us even in here. But poor old Elijah, he bought the lie of the devil. He, another lie of the devil, that he was the only one left. So all hope was gone. Are you beginning to see the picture here of what's going on with this guy? Then the angel said, go out, Elijah, and stand on the mountain before the Lord. I love this part. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after that, he sent an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake either. Because you think about God, you think big and mighty and powerful, you know, so you think he's going to knock a mountain down or, you know, shake the earth to pieces. A fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, there was a still, small voice. So many times we have to get quiet before the Lord. We have to block out everything. We have to turn off the television, turn off the phone. Sometimes we have to go away, you know, to get out of town. So you're not bothered just to be quiet before the Lord and to hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say to us. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. So get this picture. He was in the cave. The Lord says, what are you doing here? So now he comes out to the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came from heaven and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? Again, he comes to him. What are you doing here? Isn't that amazing? And he said, once again, he gives his pity party, same exact words as in verse 10. And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. So see, he's got this mindset that has been going on. Then the Lord said to him. Go, return on your way to to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. So the Lord's given uh, Elijah some more instructions. He's telling him some things that he wants him to do. He needs to go over to Syria and anoint the king over there. Verse 16, also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshah, as king over Israel. And so he has to do that. And then the Lord tells him, and Elisha the son of Japheth of Abel, Mebolah, shall anoint you, shall, you shall anoint a prophet in your place. Wow. So he tells him to go anoint two kings, and then after that you go, you, I mean, you know, go over here and anoint Elisha. He's going to be your replacement. Boy, that's tough. Wow. 
Verse 17, it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. And then the Lord says to him, you know what? There's 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed this statue Baal. So the Lord says to him, look, there's 7,000 people right here in Israel that serve me. And he thought he was the only one. He thought he was the only one. Now what kind of lies has the devil spoken to you? What kind of junk has he spoken to you? And also you have to be aware that not only does the devil hit you in your head, but he'll use people to speak to you. And so you have to be able to discern... What's of God? What's of not? What is not? You know, what are your own thoughts? What are the devil's thoughts? Whether they be directly at your head or whether they be spoken through somebody else. You've got to be able to know. But this breaks my heart right here. I want you to go get Elijah because he's your replacement. So does that mean that Elijah blew it so bad? I mean, it looks like this is what it says. That Elijah blew it so bad that God's done with him? And he's saying, I got your replacement. He's all lined up. Just like David was King Saul's replacement. Because King Saul had been disobedient to the Lord. So the Lord raised up David. You know, I want to say this too. If you're in like the fivefold ministry and today, if you're an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher, you're held more accountable than the sheep are. So, you know, if you blow it today, I'm not saying God's going to replace you. So don't get that picture, okay? Do not get that picture. Everything, every, every day is new. The mercies of God are new every morning. He makes all things new. He always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. So don't get fearful that God's done with you or none of that kind of stuff. I'm not painting that picture today. I'm just showing you examples of Bible people that were nobody who became somebodies. And also also Elijah that was somebody that kind of became nobody because of things that he did. And you, know, you can think about Moses, too, because you know, Moses wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. Because he was it because he hit the rock instead of spoke to it. Is that why? Is that why one of you Bible scholars in the front row? Yeah, something like that. Okay. So after all the stuff he put up with the, the people of Israel, all the millions of Israelites, you know, he led them out of Egypt, he led them across the sea, la, la, la. He put up with them, la, la, la. Put up with them murmuring and complaining in the wilderness for 40 years. And then he does one little thing wrong. He disobeyed the Lord. And the Lord said, speak to that rock and tell water to come out of it. And he hits it instead. And because of that, he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. And we think, man, that's tough. You know, don't you think that's tough? I see that and I think, man, Moses, all the stuff you put up with and now you can't see it yourself. But he was more accountable and he knew better. He knew better. He had walked with God all these years and he knew better. But he didn't obey God and he, and he blew it. So, do not, let me, let's look at, let's look, yeah, do not run away from where 
and what you are supposed to be doing because things get a little rough. You know, you need to learn how to stand fast. You know, you can, you can be praying about stuff and it just, you just think, Lord, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. But God is working. Just because you can't see it, God is working. He's working on people. He's working on things. And sometimes he has to reorganize things. Sometimes he has to move things around. But he is working. But you've got you to stand, stand put. Stay put. If things get tough, if things get rough, if things don't go the way you think they're supposed to go, don't, don't run. Do not run. You stand fast. You dig into the word more. And you say, okay, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm not moving, Lord. I'm standing right here because you need to tell me what to do. And you don't do a thing unless he tells you something to do. You don't make up something in your own mind. You cannot let anything or anybody drive you away from being in the perfect will of God. Are you where the Lord has placed you or are you running away? If you leave and move, you better make sure it's God that sent you. And that you're in his perfect will in the right place at the right time. Now I want to tell you about one more, Elisha, the one that replaced Elijah. So just move down in your Bible. It's in verse 19, and we're in 1 Kings 19, 19. So Elisha was a farmer, another farm boy. He's out plowing in the field. You know, I've got two farm boys in Indiana. It's harvest time. So they're out in the fields with their combines, and they're, you know, da-da-da-da. I just love it. It's really cool what they do. But he's out there and plowing the field. Let's read it in verse 19. So he, Elijah, departs from there, and he found Elisha, the son of Zaphat, who was plowing with twelve oaks of oxen before him, and he was with the twelve. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. Get that picture. He's plowing in the field. Elijah walks by, throws his mantle at him, out in the middle of the field. He just tosses it at him. And I'm thinking, you know, that's kind of a stinking attitude. I mean, stop and think about it. He didn't go up to him nicely like the angel went up to, you know, Elijah and say, Hey, Elisha, you know, the Lord wants to anoint you and here's a mantle for you, you know. No, he throws the thing at him. (laughs) And then Elisha leaves his oxen and runs after Elijah, you know, and says da-da-da-da. So anyway, long story short... A nobody, Elisha, out plowing in the field, becomes Elijah's replacement. Isn't that amazing? So, bottom line of this whole thing is, thinking about Elijah, you need to stay and fight God's way. If you run and hide, you will get out from underneath the protection of God. If he has called you to be here and you are there, and here is where your protection is, you're on your own over there. Or if he has called you to be there and you're over here, then you better get over there. Bottom line is you need to be in the perfect will of God. In your own eyes, you may look like the least of the least. I'm a nobody. You know, stop and think about it. (laughs) You know. 
Education sure isn't everything. Some of you don't have a high school education. Some of you dropped out. Some of you have a GED. That's nice. Some of you have college, graduated from college, have no college. Some of you are brilliantly educated. But you know what? God can take somebody like a little old farm boy, somebody like you and me, that we're nobodies as the world sees it, or even as we see ourselves, and he can make somebodies out of it, out of us. You may think in your own eyes that you're nobody in particular. You may not be the most handsome or the prettiest. You may have a sordid past like Rahab the harlot did. But God has placed his mantle on you. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, When you become born again, you become a new creature in Christ, so that you are never a nobody again. If you say you are a nobody, you are slapping God in the face. Because he paid the complete and total price for you to be somebody. So you can never again say, I am nobody. I want you all to stand up. I want you to say something. Josh, you can make your way up there. I want you to say this after me. I want you to say, I am somebody. In God. in God. Let's do it again. I am somebody in God. Let's do it again. I am somebody in God. Now say this. I am no longer a nobody because Jesus Christ has set me free. Amen. All right. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.